Um, our gospel this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. I'll invite you to rise in body or spirit to welcome the gospel. Jesus came to his hometown of Nazareth, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that he has been given? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor except in their hometown, and among their own kin, and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except the staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. Please be seated. Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Speak your truth, even if your voice shakes. This is a, the popular phrase that comes to mind for me this morning as we hear about the remarkable daughters of Zelophehad, Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirzah, bold women who advocated for themselves and all women as they stood before Moses and all the elders and leaders of Israel. This phrase, speak your truth, even if your voice shakes, can actually be traced back to Maggie Kuhn, who was herself a lifelong activist, who for a time worked for the Presbyterian Church and spent decades in the 20th century fighting for human rights, social and economic justice, global peace, integration, urban renewal, an improved understanding of mental health issues, and care for seniors. And the actual quote that that comes from is actually even more fitting for our reading today. She says, leave safety behind. Put your body on the line. Stand before the people you fear and speak your mind, even if your voice shakes. When you least expect it, someone may actually listen to what you have to say. Well-aimed slingshots can topple giants. And this is what the daughters did in our reading from Numbers today. And God did indeed listen. The story goes that it had been nearly 40 years since the Exodus and the Israelites were on the verge of entering into the promised land. And in anticipation of this moment, Moses and the leaders took a census in order to decide how to divide the promised land among the adult men of the population. Knowing this, the daughters came before Moses, Eliezer, the priests, the leaders, and all the congregation at the tent of meeting, which was the spiritual and temporal heart of power in their community. 
They asked to receive a share of their father's legacy and inheritance. And at the time, according to the law, the inheritance was passed down to the male heirs. So having no son, Zelophehad's inheritance would have passed right by his daughters and gone to their uncles. Moses takes their request to God, and God says, they're right. And God and Moses rewrite the law so that the daughters could inherit. This is a remarkable moment. Imagine how much courage it must have taken for them to do this. Perhaps their voice shook, but they stood together and spoke together, and God saw that they were right. Their cause was just. They just needed the courage to ask, and they did. Brenda Bacon, a senior lecturer at the Schechter Institute in Jerusalem, says that according to the Midrash, a collection of ancient Jewish rabbinical commentaries, the daughter's certainty that God is merciful is what gave these five women the courage to present their demand, the certainty that God is merciful. She says that they knew that in the patriarchal society in which they live, it is natural that men have less regard for women than they have for their own gender. In this trait, men differ from God, who has mercy equally for men and for women. Therefore, if women suffer from an unjust law, it is not God's will, but rather a result of the solidarity of men against women. And this was not the last time that we see the daughters. Once Israel had entered into the promised land and Joshua had assumed leadership from Moses, they went to Joshua and Eliezer and the leaders again to remind them of what had been promised, that the Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance along with our male kin. So Joshua gave them an inheritance of land, a portion of the promised land. And so ultimately, it was not just a physical inheritance they received, but a spiritual inheritance, not just a share in the promised land, but an equal share in the promises of God. In this sisterly solidarity, these women advocated for themselves and by extension for all other women. One Jewish commentator describes it as an enormous moment for Jewish women's empowerment. The inheritance was for themselves and for all women who came afterward. I think we can draw a lot of inspiration from these five women for their insight, courage, advocacy, and strength. Speaking our truth and asking for what we need can be such a challenge, especially for those who do not hold power. As a man, and as a straight, white, cisgender man at that, I have no problem getting my voice heard in our culture. Note that I'm the one preaching today. And yet, I have been on my own journey of actually being able to speak my truth and ask for what I need. And it has not always been easy for me. I remember at one point getting a lot of good advice about it, mainly from friends who were naturally bolder and more outspoken than me, including George. And, and I just thought, you know, I'm built differently than them. And so I went to the person that I'm built most like, which is my mom. And I asked my mom for advice. And she shared her own journey of speaking her truth as a woman in a male-dominated workplace. And it gave me the courage to speak my truth. And I'll never forget, she said to me, just remember in those moments that I'm there kicking you in the butt to say what you need to say. 
A big part of our faith is speaking our truth, God's truth, even if our voice shakes. It's recognizing, naming, and confronting inequities and injustices. And that's why I love what our advocacy team is trying to do, helping and empowering us to understand, to help, and to advocate on issues that powerfully impact people's lives and people's souls. I think it also shapes the way that we speak, not only into the laws and systems of our own time, but also into our own scriptures, traditions, and religious practices. In the Faces of Our Faith booklet that accompanies this series, it says of the daughters of Zelohaphat that the old law was no longer suitable, so God made a way for change. Though the laws were probably written in stone, God shows us in this text that the law is living, breathing, adaptable, and changing. We must breathe new life into those old, tired, worn-out laws. You know, a member of my last church uh, was a lawyer who worked for the Massachusetts Attorney General. And as we talked about our work, I observed how our jobs were not all that different. He was curious. I said that both professions take old texts and reinterpret them for the current day. Tom had to look at law as well as legal precedent to make a judgment and determine a course of action. I look at the Holy Scriptures, the history of interpretation, especially Lutheranism, and interpret it in light of the present day. In both cases, the law, the texts, are old, whether decades, centuries, or millennia, and there's been a continual stream of interpretation of law and Scripture, which are all applied to the current moment. These texts don't stand alone. Whether we are aware of it or not, they exist within the context of a history of an interpretation and practice, which fundamentally shapes the way that we see and understand these stories, even in the most basic way. This story of the daughters is one instance among many, many, many in the scripture in which the religious law or practice or understanding of faith evolves. Our gospel lesson is another such moment. Jesus is in his hometown synagogue, the place where he grew up going to shul or temple with his neighbors. People there had known him his whole life, and he's returning from his first successful foray around Galilee, during which he was baptized, called disciples to follow him, preached the parables of the sower, the mustard seed, he stilled a storm, he healed a man with an unclean spirit, healed Simon's mother-in-law, a leper, a paralytic, a man with a withered hand, a hemorrhaging woman, and he even resurrected a little girl from the dead. The headline upon his return to the synagogue should have been, Local Boy Makes Good. But the actual reaction was, Who does he think he is? They said, Where did he get all this? What is this wisdom that's been given to him? What deeds of power are being done in his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And in another version of the story, the villagers drive him out of the synagogue and try to run him off a cliff. Beyond the personal resentment that people felt, Jesus challenged their religious and cultural assumptions. He was not a descendant of a priestly line. He was not recognized as a prophet. He was just Mary and Joseph's kid. And so they thought, what gives him the right? 
Jesus continually upended people's expectations and challenged the religious law to become more compassionate and more just. And all these years later, we continue to see this tension in religion and in our own Christian tradition. We are seeing an argument these days coming out of certain Christian circles that the laws or tenets of faith are fixed. And further, some suggest that our civil laws are God-given, as if Moses, Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the Constitution rather than the Ten Commandments. And therefore, these laws are immutable and unchangeable. But we see in our scripture today that this is an old, old argument. And we know that people tend to fix these practices in a time that works best or would have worked best for them. The 1950s are a favorite, or the 1800s, and hardly anything goes back before the Enlightenment. But what we see with the daughters of Zelophehad and in Jesus is that our faith, its understandings, its practices are not fixed. And the daughters show us that even if our laws were divinely given, they too are subject to change and should be evolving in order to be more just for all people. In fact, it is incumbent upon them to do so. And we can hope that on this 4th of July that we have the courage to become a more just and equitable, kind and compassionate people who have the courage to speak our truth even when our voice shakes and to remember, as it says in the Midrash, that if people suffer from an unjust law, that is not God's will. For God desires mercy equally for all people. But rather, a result, the law, those laws are a result of the solidarity of those in power versus those who are not. The law the daughters challenged was literally God-given, and it was God's God's self who recognized that it should be changed so that all people should be inheritors of the promise. And so today we give great thanks for the daughters of Zelophehad, Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza, for all women of faith, for their courage, for their example, and for their inspiration. May we share in their courage, speak our truth, ask for what we need, even if our voice shakes, and embody their conviction that our traditions and practices are not fixed, but are ever-evolving, so that we may be a more just and merciful people. Amen.